Welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast, everybody. It's Doc Hillary. I am here today by myself. Ryan is diligently working in the garden right now because his honeydew list is um, has a few things on it, and he will be leaving for New Zealand in two days. So he's a bit busy with that and getting things done, but I wanted to get this podcast out as soon as possible. It's been a little while since we put a podcast out. Sorry, uh, the beginning of summer happened and gardening season happened and um, a million other things. So I'm a bit behind, but uh, today's podcast is a very important one that I think everybody can relate to. So I wanted to... Um, get it out ASAP. Before I get into this podcast topic today and introduce my guest, I just wanted to remind everybody that we have so much going on with Still Healthy Hunter and Hunt Harvest Health. And we just wanted to make sure that you know we have new swag in. It's been over two years since we ordered any swag and we have three new t-shirt designs in. We have one, uh, two new hat designs. We have a new um, tumbler, stainless, stainless steel tumbler, which is super cool. It's my favorite thing I find now. Ryan and I have this like huge cabinet of drink cups and mugs and stuff. And we are literally drinking everything out of our tumblers because we can drink cold drinks out of them. It keeps them cold and we can drink hot drinks out of it. It keeps them hot. So I absolutely love my Hunt Harvest Health tumbler and definitely worth the money, which isn't very much. If you go to our website right now, we do have 20% off of everything you'll see there. Um, we had that through Memorial Day weekend, but I'm just gonna leave it on there for a couple more weeks love to sell some of the swag and get it out of here. Um, so make sure to go to our website under shop and stealthy swag and you can see everything that we have there. We also have the bent herbalist hemp. Don't forget about that. The feedback coming back from this now that we've had this out almost two months is phenomenal. Um, as I've tried to explain in the past and Matt and I have talked a ton on the podcast is that hemp takes some time to work. It's not an overnight panacea. It's more like nutrition. It's a food that gets into your body, helps work on receptors throughout the many different systems of your body. And it takes a little bit of time, but now we're starting to see the benefits of that. So we've been out a couple months and people are reordering and we're getting great feedback about how folks have benefited um, from this product. And it's the most exciting thing about this. Matt is so confident that his product works that he has no doubt that people are going to reorder and that people are going to want to stay on this stuff. And just my own experience is I've been doing, um, I've been adding more exercise to my routine because uh, most of you might have, some of you might have seen on my Instagram story, I shared a little bit about my last year and dealing with chronic pain, which I don't talk about a whole bunch just because, you know, I'm the doctor and I like everybody to think that everything is perfect with me. But uh, I've had a ton of chronic pain, especially in the last eight to nine months, back and hip pain. And I believe it was just from stress, just from the big change that we had in life, etc. But um, I also found out that it was probably likely due to some hormone dysregulation. Um, 
which I talk about in our podcast with Dr. Witty on why women need testosterone. Um, so I started doing some supplementation with that. Uh, I started actually strategically supplementing uh, with some thyroid support, um, anti-inflammatory herbs, um, the um, a bunch of other things to help my hormones as well as a multivitamin, fish oil. And then as I started feeling better, I began exercising because exercise was one thing that I couldn't do very well. And in this whole time, I've been religious about taking my Ben Herbal's hemp twice a day. I take one in the morning. I take one at night. I take them at the same time. Um, if I was having more pain in the beginning, I was actually taking more than that. I was taking three to four a day. I have talked to people who need to take four to six per day. But what I found as I've been on it and I'm getting healthier and healthier, I can take less. And if I forget to take my doses for a couple of days, I'm still fine. But I try to take it at least twice a day, if not once for sure. So, and then when I added the exercise back in, um, I just found that I was having a lot less pain um, in my hips and my back than I was before. And I added in um, a colleague of mine in town here. He does some upper cervical and some dry needling, kind of like acupuncture on my back. And the mixture of that has done miracles for me. And it's taken about six months for things to really kick in and start working and be consistent. But now I'm able to run. And my goal is to be running uh, a 10K in July. This week alone, I ran nearly 15 miles, um, with one of those days being a seven and a half K one morning before 6.30. And that is a huge accomplishment for me, especially when you consider that literally three months ago, I was having chronic hip pain to the point where I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to exercise again. So I think that the Bent Herbalist Hemp, you know, along with everything else, but I, I really think that the consistency with that has decreased my inflammation tremendously. And I'm so thankful for that. So long story short, if you haven't tried it, um, it's definitely worth the money. And if you have any questions, you can also you can send those to us. And don't don't forget, Matt is open to talking to you guys for free. If you go to Bent Herbalist, um, if you go to bentherbalist.com, email Matt. He'll answer your questions. If you have questions about your pain, if you have questions about your dosage, that kind of thing, he will give recommendations. We're not giving any medical advice or diagnosis, obviously, um, over the phone or over email, but. Um, he is an awesome resource and I would utilize that for sure. So yes, spent herbalist hemp, all about it. And then let's see. Oh yeah, we have the Western Hunting Summit coming up at the end of June. And we're very excited to say that it's had a great response. Um, we decided to keep it fairly small. Um, at this point, we're looking, I don't know, under 30 people. And most people have signed up for the VIP, uh, so we opened up a few more, more spots this weekend because of the popularity of it, and um, just to make sure whoever else wants to get in there can. If you still want to come to the Western Hunting Summit, whether you can get into the VIP for the full four days, or you just want to do the weekend of June um, 29th and 30th for the education piece, Brian Barney's going to be there, Randy Newberg's going to be there, Dan Staten's going to be there. Um... Elknut's going to be there. I'm going to be there. 
Mount Tough is going to be there. Of course, of course, Ryan will be there. We're going to be providing healthy food. Uh, we're going to have a barbecue Friday night for the VIP guests. Dave Brinker is going to be singing. It's going to be a totally fun weekend. And if it's works out good, and this is something we want to do consistently, you can use Stay Healthy uh, 100, all caps, Stay Healthy 100. You'll get 100 bucks off your entry fee. So go to westernhuntingsummit.com, learn all the details, and get signed up. All right, so I had to do all those shameless plugs for the things that we have been working on, um, as well as just let you know that Montana seems all of a sudden it's summer now and the rain has stopped and we are gardening. So Ryan has built some, built our fence and built some amazing boxes. He's actually outside planting greens right now. So you can go to our Instagram. You can follow us on there. I haven't got any of it up on the website yet, but um, Instagram on our stories and stuff is where we're going to be sharing all about the gardening if you want to keep up on that. All right, so let's get into this next podcast. I'm just going to give a little short intro on what we're talking about. Today, I'm interviewing a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. John Newstad. Um, he's a naturopathic physician. He lives in San Diego, but he lived in Bozeman for many years. Uh, his wife was born and raised here, and so he ended up moving to Bozeman with her, and he had a medical practice here. And um, I knew him from school, and then I also um, knew him from his medical practice here in Bozeman, and I've worked with him cons um, considerably in the past. And um, John is really classically, he was a clinician for many years, but um, he's kind of retired from that. He does pro bono work now. He has a supplement company, um, nbihealth.com. You can go there and check out his supplements and, and more about him and what he does. But he's really a researcher. Um, he's excellent at researching and he loves to kind of dig into the nitty gritty of these things and um, clinical trials and what's working and what's not and that kind of stuff. So I wanted to get him on here. Um, he recently just came out with a sleep product to help folks with sleep. Um, he's really, in the past, he's done a lot of work with um, inflammation mitochondrial dysfunction as well as bone health. He has a really revolutionary bone product because we don't talk about bone health much in this and, and it's kind of one of those silent killers like cardiovascular disease. It's like you don't know you have it until you have it and then it um, can increase your mortality quite a bit. So bone health is really important for both men and women. But in this one we're going to talk about sleep and interestingly enough I was told at a training a couple months ago that Sleep is the number one Googled word when it comes to health conditions. The number one Googled word. So that means a lot of people are trying to figure out how to help their sleep. And so I thought it was appropriate. Let's do a podcast about sleep. We don't get into a ton. We, we, we talk a lot about more, you know layperson issues here and how we can address our sleep dysfunction. Um, we talk about medications. We talk about nutri nutrient deficiencies. Uh, we talk about the stages of sleep. There's a bunch of things we talk in here about. But um, I just wanted to get a, give a little bit of a synopsis on kind of bringing together why sleep is so important. Obviously, you can't live if you don't sleep. And we should be getting about eight hours of sleep a night. We found that um, science has shown that that tends to be the best for optimal performance, optimal um, system function. Um, but we see that most Americans are getting around six to six and a half hours of sleep. And the quality of that sleep is not necessarily that great. Um, some of the most common reasons that 
you should think about why healthy sleep is so important and what it can do for you is um, sleep really is uh, is affecting your immune system. So when we talk about the immune system and we talk about inflammation and we talk about um, your body's ability to fight infection and, and um, if you and things like cancer, increasing risk of cancer, if you're not getting enough sleep, you're going to have decreased immune function. And this is going to affect the way in which your immune system is going to react to things. On that same line, it also means that you're going to have more inflammation. So people who, let's say you pull an all-nighter, you don't sleep, you stay up all night. I've pulled plenty of those in my life. I went to medical school. Well, let's see. I was a you know, I went to college, did plenty of that stuff. Then I went to medical school, did tons of that. Well, then I've had kids. So I've definitely pulled many all-nighters without sleep. And what we see is that you have elevated levels of inflammatory molecules in your blood. Um, If you sleep four to six hours a night, you definitely have higher inflammatory markers. Um, There was a study in men that found that after one night of sleep deprivation, just one night, that they had various inflammatory markers, including cortisol. So you've probably heard of cortisol, which is an adrenal hormone, and um, it is secreted on a circadian rhythm throughout the day, but it's also in, in to basically regulate your blood sugar. And so if you're pulling an all-nighter, you're going to have elevated cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And then if this person, if these guys who pulled the all-nighter, they recovered by taking a nap with eight hours of sleep, um, or they had extended sleep of 10 hours, all the inflammatory markers that they had returned to normal. So think about this, how many all-nighters people have pulled. Think about um, guys that people that are only sleeping four hours a night. I mean, people that are for years and years and years working high stress jobs or working the night shift or working these things where their circadian rhythm gets quite off. Um, guaranteed that if you probably drew those people's blood, they were going to have, they're going to have higher inflammatory markers just from not getting consistent sleep. We talked about hormones a ton on this podcast and the main thing that happens with sleep disruption and how stressful it is to the body is that um, disruption activates the HPA, HPA axis. That's just a fancy term of saying that's your brain and the other organs of your body that produce hormones. That's how they talk to each other. Um, and this axis is kind of a stress response axis. So good stress, bad stress, hormones respond to stress in many different ways. So when you are chronically sleep deprived, you um, don't have that opportunity during sleep to reset this HPA axis. That's when it's resetting. That's why people always say you need to sleep to recover. Um, It's because you're resetting your hormonal system. You're resetting your brain. And if you're chronically sleep deprived, you're not doing this. So over time, you're going to see elevated stress hormones, which are going to decrease immune function. Um, they're going to they're going to disrupt your digestion. They're going to increase anxiety and depression. They're going to hurt your memory, and they're going to impair your blood sugar function. Um, if you have any kind of thing you need to heal from, it's going to decrease wound healing and raise blood pressure. 
I can't tell you how many people I see, young and old, who have blood pre- blood pressure dysregulation. This is no longer an old person problem. And I see it so frequently that one of the first questions that you have to ask is, well, are you sleeping? Uh, what is your stress like? Obviously, are you hydrated? Um, but sleep deprivation, because we're most of us, almost every single person in the whole world understands what sleep deprivation is, but we're doing, we're seeing more and more of it nowadays. Um, it also alters your thyroid hormone. Um, it alters your estrogen and testosterone secretion. Uh, there's a bunch of hormones that sleep disruption um, messes with. And so all of these things are going to be basically disruptive to our cellular, cellular activity and growth. Um, and it's just like in children, you know, children need to sleep because children secrete a lot of growth hormone. And the only time growth hormone is secreted is when you sleep. And same with us adults. We still secrete a little bit of growth hormone. So if you're not sleeping well, um, you're not necessarily getting a a lot of good growth hormone um, help, that young hormone. The other thing that's really big nowadays is insulin resistance. It's rampant. And even skinny, healthy-looking people can have insulin resistance. I see it all the time. And I think that we don't think about that with sleep, but... If you're having sleep deprivation, you're going to have more blood sugar dysregulation because your body is going to try to do whatever it can to keep you awake. Um, It gets that circadian rhythm, that circadian rhythm that we live on, that cortisol um, rhythm that we live on, the things that control blood sugar balance, um, we we can lose insulin sensitivity when we have that deprivation. And so um, our bodies just aren't simply programmed to manage blood sugar levels on in, insufficient sleep. So if you're not sleeping well, you're likely having metabolic problems. You may be having insulin dysregulation. Um, and it's that's not something to um, quack about because, you know, diabetes and autoimmune disease, as well as cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome, these are all related to insulin um, problems. And then the another one we talk about a ton on this podcast is digestive health. Uh, when you sleep, you're not thinking about anything. And so your autonomic nervous system, which is like the fight or flight or the rest and digest part of your brain, um, that controls activity of your glands and organs. It's really dominated by the parasympathetic, which is the rest and the digest. And that part of your brain slows down your heart rate. It increases your digestive activity. It stimulates your urination and stimulates sexual function. Um, and then the sympathetic activity, that fight or flight response, it speeds up heart rate, dilates pupils, opens blood vessels, allowing more blood to the muscles and and increases breathing. If we're sleep deprived, we have increased sympathetic activity and decreased parasympathetic, parasympathetic activity. So you can imagine the result of sleep deprivation means that the digestive system is not receiving, um, sufficient stimulation. And this, over time, will increase um, constipation is a big one. Um, it will affect the microbiome, the quality of bacteria in the intestines, um, and it can lead to leaky gut syndrome. And this is going to increase your absorption of toxins from the intestines into the blood. And then that requires the liver to work. And if there's copious amounts of these things, then the liver is going to be compromised and store the detoxification pathways. Um, and this is going to open our cells to more vulnerability, and especially to things like carcinogens, 
that normally your body would detoxify. So it's really an insidious thing because sleep deprivation will harm the digestion and detoxification, and this will increase your chances of things like cancer. So, I mean, super, super important. So really kind of the bottom line, John and I are going to get all into this, but I think it's important to talk about sleep hygiene because a lot of people just kind of roll their eyes when I say that. Like, what's your room? Is your room dark? Do you not have a TV in your room? Um, are you looking at your phone? You know, people just kind of these days roll their eyes at me because they know those things aren't good for them when they're going to sleep, but it's that addiction that's very difficult for us to do. And some of us are just winding down, and that's how we wind down. Um, reading a book physically anymore, a lot of people aren't doing that. Or they're doing it on their reader, so they're still looking at a light. So a few things I would say is that just to help you out with your sleep, kind of simple, no-nonsense things, is just try to keep your bedroom dark. That's a big one because melatonin is secreted in the dark. Um, keep your bedroom dark. Keep it quiet if you can. Make sure you're exercising. Like I said, I went back to exercising. My sleep has way improved. The other thing with chronic pain, John and I will talk about this, the less sleep I get or the worse my quality of sleep is. I mean, I have kids and I have dogs and we had puppies and a new house and like it's craziness. So I'm, I'm the light sleeper and I've had years of sleep deprivation and not sleeping well. If I had to have a bad week of sleep, my pain is 10 times what it is. If I get a good week of sleep, my pain, even one night of good sleep, my pain is marketably less. And that means I'm just, because I'm not producing as much inflammatory cytokines that I am if I'm sleep deprived. So thinking about sleep exercise and also thinking about pain, think about these things. Like if you're not sleeping, it's not going to be as easy to do them. But if you're exercising, you're going to get into deeper sleep better. So make sure you're exercising. Um, try to eat protein at night. Now, everybody's a little bit genetically different with this, but protein, which John will talk about that, it can improve sleep because of blood sugar issues. Um, you can consider taking things like melatonin, which we talk about in this podcast, um, herbs, valerian, chamomile, 5-HTP, uh, which is a serotonin precursor. Um, there's a number of things that, that you can do. Uh, you know, maybe take a hot bath, um, you know, have sex. These kinds of things can really help to, to turn off that sympathetic nervous system, get into parasympathetic, and then go into sleep. That's all I'm going to say about it right now. I'm going to let John kind of fill in the rest, but uh, sleep is important. It's, it's a big piece of our life. It's one of the main pillars uh, of healthy living. So, um, all right. I hope you enjoy this podcast today, Dr. John Newstad. Today, I have on a friend and colleague of mine who is going to talk about a few different topics that I think we can all relate to. The first one, and probably the bigger topic that we're going to talk about today, um, because he has uh, a lot of experience. He's a, he's a naturopathic physician, he has a lot of experience with sleep, and he also has a product line and some products that go along with sleep. And the I think the most interesting thing, I was in a training a couple months ago, and they told us that the number one Googled word in health conditions is sleep on Google. And so what this says is that a lot of people have sleep 
problems likely they're 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 googling ways in which to help their sleep and i know that in this community we have talked somewhat about sleep um, but it's also a great question it's one of the bigger questions we get as well is how do i improve my sleep what are lifestyle factors and of course we've talked about all kinds of things that can affect your sleep um, but i think we haven't really had a podcast dedicated to that and i wanted to do that because i think it's Actually, I think after you listen to Dr. John Newstad, who's my guest today, you will probably realize that sleep is probably the number one factor in overall health, um, as well as exercise and nutrition. But sleep is big. We do it half of our life, right? Or a third of our life, depending. Some of us a quarter of our life, depending on how much we sleep. So welcome, John. Uh, Dr. John Newstad, welcome, John, to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Um, Give us a little bit of background on yourself and um, tell us tell us some of your history in medicine and uh, and where you are today. So I'm an HPLA doctor, as as you mentioned, uh, and you and I go back from our days in medical school. That's where we originally met. But I think our professional relationship really grew with our both of our roots in Montana. Uh, you being from there, my wife uh, born and raised in Butte. After medical school, we moved to Bozeman, which is where her side of our family is from. Both of our kids are married, or married. Both of our kids were born in Bozeman. Uh, that's where I had my medical practice. That's where my supplement company, NBI, uh, was started. Um, and so I have a real fondness and love for Montana, even though we've since relocated uh, and left there. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I have a real passion and love for research and looking at the underlying causes of what's going on and how to help people. In fact, the reason why I started formulating dietary supplements, started manufacturing them to begin with was because clinically I wanted to help people and I couldn't find the combination or the dose or the form of nutrients in existing products that were shown in clinical trials to actually work that I needed to help my patients or myself or my family. So I went ahead and, uh, and created them. And through all my research and writing that I've done, I've published over 100 research reviews. Uh, Elsevier, uh, which is the world's largest medical publisher, recognized me as one of the top 10 cited authors in the world uh, for one of my research uh, articles. Uh, I'm passionate about education, so I lecture at medical conferences around the country, and I've received about uh, 15 U.S. FDA orphan drug designations looking to treat, potentially treat, rare diseases using natural products, and they've reviewed the research that I've submitted and agreed that the potential is there, and um, awarded me those, uh, what's called an orphan drug uh, designation. So I I say all this not to... um, you know, really toot my own horn, but to give hopefully people some context, to give your, your listeners some, some context, uh, both a little bit about my journey, why I, I'm doing this, why I started doing this, what motivates me, uh, but also so they, so they, they know that, that I am very passionate about the research and understanding physiologically, biochemically, uh, psychosocially, of what's going on in terms of the whole person, in terms of the potential underlying causes to not only create products, but provide information through my blogs, through interviews like this to help people. Right. Well, 
You're probably one of the most scientific guys that I know. Like you're, you're a total scientist. Um, if I think about doing medical research, I just want to cry and cringe. It makes me like stressed out. <laughs> right. And there's some people that <clears throat> medically, uh, in the profession that have that brain where they're just so good at not only, you know, um, researching, but doing research themselves is, is, um, is exciting to them. And so that's kind of, yeah, your happy place. And, uh, you know, again, it's not my happy place. I will do it, but it's not my happy place. I'm, I'm more of a clinician, you know? Um, uh, and so I like to have that research that folks like you do and those books and, and all the work that you've done in the back end and then be able to clinically use it with patients. Um, but I think that's kind of how I think of you as definitely as a scientist and, um, and I would also say a bit of a rule breaker, you know, in, 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 um, especially in nutraceuticals and just bringing together, um, bringing, like you said, bringing together formulas that, you know, work for patients that are clinically, um, that are backed by research and are clinically sound because you yourself are also a clinician. And so that's what I like about it. Um, you're not just creating supplements and have no experience with patients, which sometimes is what happens um, in this field, right? Nobody is yes. actually treating patients. Um, so that's what I like. Yeah, and it's frustrating for me to see, um, to see that. And, and I know people in the industry now that I'm, I'm on that side of it where I've created a, a company and they, they, they see a large market and they, they see an industry that's very popular a billion dollar plus dietary supplement industry and they're really about how can i make the money off of it what do i and without the experience and they'll put inferior ingredients in there they'll put ingredients not backed by clinical trials they'll cite a clinical trial i've seen it on their website but put actually a different form of the nutrient in the product that, that wasn't used in the clinical trial itself or they don't use the, the dose that was in the clinical trial and it drives me nuts. It, it really is, I think, a disservice to people. But unfortunately, it's, it is buyer beware out there, which is one of the reasons on our on my website uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of research citations and links that people can. You don't have to believe me. You know, the science is there; it speaks for itself, and that's right. what I, I I like, and I, I hope people will uh, will do is educate themselves and learn how to take better care of themselves. And if uh, my work at NBI um, in this forum that you've so graciously provided to me. Uh, can be part of that, part of their their journey. Then I'm I'm thrilled. Awesome. Well, let's touch a little bit on the topic that we were going to talk about today, which is sleep. And like I said, it's obviously a big problem today. Can you give us a, as a as a clinician and as a researcher, can you give us a little bit of background about why sleep? Um, and the aspects of sleep, what's important about it? Well, sleep is uh, where our body processes information for the day. Uh, sleep is where, you know, where our brain does. Our brain can rest and process information. But it's also during a time where, where a lot of our cellular, our cellular processes and tissues repair uh, when they rest during, during the night. And anyone who's been sleep-deprived, which is essentially everyone at some point, um, has a bouts of insomnia, bouts of sleep duration, whether it's self-imposed because they go out 
you know, partying on the weekend or they're, they're studying for exams or for whatever reason, there's, there's stress in their life and there's anxiety and they're, they're having a hard time sleeping or through no fault of their own. Uh, maybe something's going on internally, physiologically that they don't really understand what it is, but it's keeping them from sleeping as well. But anyone who's experienced any, any of that just understands intuitively that not sleeping, you're groggier the next day. You're, you're less able to deal with what's coming at you during the day. You're less able to process and handle uh, emotions. You, know, you have poor memory and poor memory recall. Uh, your, your physical response time uh, has been, there's been studies and when people are sleep deprived, it's as if they're drunk. It's a very similar dynamic in terms of your, your neurology, your, your body being able to react as if the person is drunk. Uh, and, and so it just, it just makes life a lot worse and it creates a lot of problems for people. It is involved in every psychiatric, um, disorder, uh, depression, for example, uh, it's involved in a lot of physical disorders. It makes pain more intense when people are sleep deprived. That puts on the pain threshold goes down. So it takes less to feel the same amount of pain. And so it makes the, the sensation of pain uh, increase. And, and you know, for all of those, those reasons, and, and many more, because pain, uh, decreased sleep, not getting enough sleep, increases your risk for diabetes, heart disease, stroke, cancer, uh, some cancers, uh, dying early and for all those reasons and more, you know, sleep is, is so crucial to get, but unfortunately, um, it's epidemic in our society. Now people not getting enough sleep, which the research shows is eight hours a night. Is that sweet spot on average eight hours a night? Wow. I mean, eight hours a night these days, I think seems like a long time, right? I, I would guess, um, I was reading some of the research, you know, what's the, the average American is maybe getting six and a half hours of sleep. Right. And then my question is how much deep sleep, REM sleep, are they actually getting in that six and a half hours, right? Can you maybe explain a little bit about REM sleep and, and the importance yeah. of the different stages of sleep? Sure, of course. So there are uh, four stages of, of, um, of sleep. Uh, there's before that starts, there's called sleep latency. That's the amount of time it takes somebody to fall asleep from the time you close your eyes to you're actually asleep. And some people are surprised when I tell them that the research shows that the average time is about 30 minutes. So some people are under the impression that as soon as they hit the pillow, they should, um, they should close their eyes and they should be asleep quickly. But sometimes, you know, on average, it can take up to a half hour, which is considered normal. Maybe it's not optimal for somebody. We can get into that conversation, but but that's not considered a sleep problem if it takes you that long to fall asleep, at least medically. Uh, and then you enter into the lighter stages of sleep. That's stage one and stage two. And um, then you go, as you go deeper and deeper, you get into stage three uh, and stage four. And the, the, the brain waves, as you go into a deeper sleep, slow down. So you get longer, slower brain waves. And you get into that REM sleep, and REM uh, is an acronym that stands for rapid eye movement. People may see, uh, they watch somebody sleep, their eyes start twitching. Uh, that's the REM stage of sleep, and that's the dreaming uh, stage of sleep. Uh, that is one of the deepest stages of sleep and the most difficult stage to wake somebody up from. Uh, and so if somebody is really easy to wake up, 
meaning they're startled by, by very light noises. Uh, that can indicate that they're not getting into those deeper restorative stages of sleep. That's where your body needs those restorative deeper stage three, stage four, those, the REM stage of sleep to, uh, to restore uh, energy, cellular processes, uh, and, and those things. And so that, that can be a clue, an indication that maybe somebody's sleeping and maybe they are getting uh, enough hours of sleep. But if they're not getting deep restorative sleep, it could still really ruin their quality of life and health. Yeah, I think about, um, you know, everybody I think is a little bit different with sleep, but just being a parent um, and being a mother of young children for many years, after having children, I think sleep also changes because you become more alert and, and yeah. you don't really go into deep sleep very well because you're kind of, you know, you're sleeping with one eye open kind of thing, instinctual yeah. thing. And um, I, I felt like after children, it was really hard to get good deep sleep because of that. And um, I think that there's different stages probably too in life, right? Where we have our sleep being altered by a number of different things. One probably being young children. Um, I know in medical school, I had a lot of sleep problems as well. I was where I would always worry about not waking up in time for something. And so I kind of trained myself not to sleep well at night. But um, I wonder now, I don't wonder, I mean, I actually can feel it and I actually see it, but the advent of these things, you know, phones, and the computers that we're talking on right now, how they have totally transformed our sleep biology and the amount of sleep that we're getting. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's a great topic because a research just came out in uh, 2000, I believe it was 2018, a clinical trial where they showed that these the screens, the light from uh, iPads, iPhones, they had participants read books on them, e-readers. And what they showed is the people who were on their screens prior to going to bed, it took them longer to fall asleep. But interestingly, here's, here's when I, when I read, talked to other people who, um, who have read the study, they seem to overlook what I think is even a more important piece of that study. It took the participants hours longer, hours longer to feel fully awake the next morning. And wow. what happens and what they, they, they've done tests also on the screens, the light, the blue light from those screens depletes melatonin. Mm -hmm. It actually depletes your brain's melatonin. Melatonin um, is produced in the brain and other tissues. Actually, the, most of the melatonin in our body is produced in the gut. But the brain melatonin is what's responsible for preparing our bodies for sleep. So as the... Uh, you know, evolutionarily before the advent advent of uh, lights, now we just switch a flip a switch and we have twenty four hour lights, artificial light. You know, when the sun went down and it started to get dark, that's when our melatonin in our brain would start to increase, start to the secretion of melatonin would start to increase, and getting us ready for sleep. It's uh, helping us just sort of feel sl slowing down, starting to feel tired, getting ready for bed. And so it happens, and anybody who's um, been on their screens at night while they're in bed, maybe getting ready for bed or getting ready to turn the light off for bed, and they're, they're sitting reading on their screens for a while. I know I've experienced this. I feel sleepy, and then I'm on my screen, and I'm reading for a while, uh, and suddenly I'm not tired anymore. Right. Well, that's probably because that, that screen and that light is, has, has wiped out the melatonin that your body was naturally using to get you to, to fall asleep. 
So I'm a big advocate of just leave your leave your phone now outside of the room. Just don't even take it to bed with you. Have a screen free area, and that is your bedroom. And it's very it's crucial. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Maybe you'll connect. You'll, you connect better with your partner or spouse. You know? <laughs> we have a little more time for some fun. <laughs> well, that's right. We've talked about the hormones situation a ton on this podcast, and and obviously eighty percent of our listeners are men. Um, the women side of it is growing probably because of me, but we talk about testosterone a lot and we talk about, you know, we haven't touched on growth hormone a ton, but, um, hormone function is vital. Uh, meaning sleep is a vital piece of hormone function and we can see hormone when we see hormone deficiencies, we can also see poor sleep. But what's the chicken and the egg? Because poor sleep can lead to hormone deficiencies. Right. And so I don't know how you feel about it. I'm sure I know how you feel about it. But when I think about a patient and they tell me that they're not sleeping, um, probably one of the the you know top things in, in my mind is to help them get better sleep. And that will then possibly help their hormones instead of just telling them, oh, take this. Or, you know, I do, I do a lot of hormone replacement and we do testosterone replacement for both men and women. And it does help people sleep better. So if you're deficient in testosterone, like you are not going to have deep sleep, you're not going to have good deep sleep. And I've experienced that personally with myself, having done testosterone supplementation, my deep sleep is so much better. But if you are taking hormone or doing a hormone, you know, supplement program or whatever, and you're not sleeping, you're not right. supporting that. So it's kind of one of those fundamental pillars that you have to support in order to get these other things to work properly. Well, and that's one of the things I love about your approach and what we were trained as naturopathic doctors that, you know, I, I hesitate ever saying, you know, it never comes down to, but almost always it, it doesn't come down to just one thing. There is no magic bullet. Yeah. And yes, if you are low in a hormone in testosterone and it is appropriately indicated to supplement with that, it can make a huge difference. But the chronic conditions, whether they're they're physical or psychi- psychological, they tend to be caused by multiple factors. It's never just, you know, usually it's never just one one thing. Yeah, and sleep no, does play a component in all of these all of these issues. And you're right. What is it? You know, chicken and egg, what came first? Uh, not getting enough sleep increases cortisol. So it's a stress hormone. And cortisol decreases how well your thyroid gland functions. It decreases how, decreases how well your testosterone is able to function in, in the body. So you've got to deal and people encourage them and educate them with, uh, overall health and total health that they want to feel as, as good as, as possible, as good as they can, as well as they can. Yeah. And that's 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 one of the, the challenges I have when most people when they talk about sleep, the first thing I hear is, Oh, I tried melatonin. Right. And they just get smell it, you know, oh I tried melatonin. Well, the challenge with that is melatonin has a half life, meaning half of it is is eliminated from your body in about forty five minutes. So the purpose of melatonin in the body isn't to keep somebody asleep all night. And typically people they take melatonin and then they end up finding that, you know, a few days later they're having to up it and they take more and more and more and suddenly they're really overdosing melatonin and they're groggy in the morning when they wake up and they're forcing the hormone to use to play an act, a, a role that it doesn't not naturally play uh, in the body. And so the more we can understand 
how the body works, how this, those rhythms can work to our advantage, the better off we're going to be from, from attacking this more holistically. And Fitbit, actually, the wearable device company Fitbit, they did a great research. They had 6 billion data points from their users. And what they determined of all of those, all of those different data points is that the biggest predictor of healthy sleep was going to bed at about the same time every night. Mm. They termed it social jet lag. So people typically during the week, they go to bed at about the same hour. And then on Friday night, Saturday night, they go out, they stay up later, uh, maybe an hour or two, three hours later. By the time Monday morning comes around or Sunday night comes around, they basically train their body. It's as if they've flown to a different time zone. And now their body's used to a different rhythm. And so going to bed about the same time every night, not taking the cell phone in in bed with you, those two things alone are are so helpful uh, for people to understand what they can do. Besides pills or or medications or any of that stuff. Yeah, and I've I've experienced, you know, people have different responses to melatonin. So I'll just use Ryan and I, for example. Um, One of the product companies we work with, they have a drink that, you know, a slumber product. And Ryan loves it because it's a drink. He loves a drink. I'm fine with pills. I just rather take a pill and I'm fine with that. Um, if I do too much of it, like I get dizzy and weird feeling, but I'll knock out. It's not like the super comfortable feeling for me. If right. I'm traveling or something and I know that I'm not going to be able to fall asleep, well, I'll do it and, and I'm okay with that. Ryan in like 10 minutes will literally be out cold. He can't even have a conversation if he starts drinking that stuff. Um, it doesn't work that fast on me. And then in the mornings, he's wide awake and bright and whatever. And I, I get what I call the melatonin hangover. I'm more susceptible to the melatonin hangover. So, um, I don't like feel as energetic in the morning. And so I really try not to do the melatonin if I if I don't have to because then I'm going to feel better in the morning. And what I found, and like you said before, is that consistency is actually the key. You know, if I can go to bed, if I go to bed by 10 o'clock at night, my morning is totally different. Right. If I go to bed at 11 o'clock or 11.30 or God forbid even later than that, and I got to get up at 6 a.m. the same time that I would have got up if I went to bed at 10, I don't feel as good. And then if I add melatonin to that, like let's say it's 12 and I can't fall asleep now, so I take some melatonin, and I definitely have a melatonin hangover in the morning. And so um, I do think biochemistry, right? And like you said, everyone produces different different amounts of melatonin. Um, But I think that getting people to understand the consistency – is way more important than taking a pill um, or whatnot, or just like just taking melatonin because melatonin is only one piece of it, like you said, helping you to well, fall asleep. It, it, exactly, and I and I got started looking at really the underlying um, hormones and biochemistry and all of the pathways involved in sleep, sleep stages, about uh, two years ago now. For, for a couple of reasons. One, I kept ha- hearing stories from people, just like yourself, 
where they couldn't find something that really worked or something you know that worked for their spouse or friend didn't work for them. I personally, after kids, we talked. You mentioned kids before. We have two children. At a certain point, my I started to get insomnia, and I, I was having such a hard time falling asleep. I tried different things over the counter. I couldn't find anything that worked consistently for me. So I started digging into to the research, and clinically, what I know is, and how I think of it, is there are. Uh, two basic stages of sleep. One is falling asleep, which we talk melatonin. And there are other reasons why people may not be falling asleep. It could be pain, which we mentioned, muscle tightness, anxiety, you know, why people aren't falling asleep. And then there's staying asleep. So clinically, when I work with people, and I still do, I do all pro bono uh, medical consulting work by people uh, with people by phone now. And I still ask them the question when I do that with them, uh, do you have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep? And depending on what they say, which one of those, if one of, one of those is an issue, gives clues as to what might be going on. So looking at the different um, hormones and nutrients and underlying causes of what could be influencing those two types of, or two, two major categories of, of uh, sleeping through the night, and then also, uh, are they getting into a deep sleep? Uh, do they feel refreshed in the morning? I ended up creating my NBI sleep relief product that is a biphasic time release uh, system. Mm -hmm. So the first phase is a quick release phase of the nutrients to help people fall asleep. And then the second, second phase releases the nutrients over about four or five subsequent hours to help maintain their sleep. Mm. Uh, and it has a, a little bit of melatonin in a very, very low amount, one milligram per, per tablet. Mm -hmm. Because melatonin isn't the major hormone when it comes to maintaining sleep throughout the night. Um, and and uh, I found for me, and I mean, people are, are loving it, but for me, that's what's finally worked for me consistently. So what is the main, what are some of the other hormones that help you just stay asleep? Uh, GABA, GABA. Uh, is, a, is a hormone. Uh, glycine uh, is, a, is a bit involved. Glycine is an amino acid, but it's also involved as a hormone uh, in the body. Um, and I would answer that a little bit as to, you know, what hormones have the reverse effect? What hormones wake you up? So cortisol can wake you up. Mm -hmm. And people's blood sugar control is not uh, adequate, uh, meaning during the night, uh, they, their blood sugar starts to drop, what happens is your body secretes cortisol. That breaks down uh, stored sugar to, to raise the blood sugar up, and it also wakes you up. So what I put in the product are uh, adaptogenic herbs to help reduce that, uh, to help blunt any cortisol response. But if, if that, we, I think that that's an issue with people, what I'll say is, look, just eat 8 to 10 grams of protein before you bed, go to bed. Don't take any pills. Just try that. Right. And if, clinically, in my clinic, it, it was rare, but when I would have people do that first, if we thought it was a blood control issue, then one of the things that can give that clue is if they're waking up about the same time every night, 2, 3 o'clock at, at night. If we think that's it and they try it and it's fixed, then that to me is one of the best possible ways to help people. It's through food. It's through diet. Right. Yeah, we we totally agree. Uh, that, that's those are some cool. What's that? No, I said we we totally subscribe to that. You know, um, figuring out that I I think blood sugar dysregulation is huge, as you know. You know, with the epic 
with all the different disorders of metabolic disease that we see going on is that people are having poor and chronic stress. I, I feel like we don't really, I don't feel like, um, even as clinicians, we totally understand how detrimental, um, chronic stress is because people are always, have always had stress in their lives. Like, I mean, you think about our lives now, they're pretty easy compared to what life used to be like, you know, so it's, it's not like stress hasn't been around, but it's that idea of like, our minds are busy, our bodies are not busy. Our minds are going, going, going. We have immediate gratification. We have devices. We have a million things. And I read one of your blogs where you talk about saying no. You know, we all have this thing where we just say yes to every everything. And we just, I am like, I raise my hand. I am totally 100% guilty of this. I have a hundred projects going on at any given time. And, and in a lot of cases, I'm not taking care of myself the way that I should. I'm not sleeping. I'm not exercising because I have this long list that I couldn't say no to. Right. And, but the whole idea of that chronic stress and how it's biochemically changing us, especially our sleep. Um, and I think that that probably that the idea of getting the, like you said, getting the phones out of the room is the first thing because we do know that that, that um, being turned on all the time and like not in a good way, like just being on all the time right. <laughs> is um, I think in the long term, I don't think we've had it long enough to really know the detriments of it. But I think that we're going to, you know, we're going to have, we're going to, we're starting to already deal with that with the increase of anxiety, the increase of depression. Yep. I mean, I don't know what you think, but I feel like just in the last 15 years, the amount of mental disorders and widespread mental um, dysfunction and emotional liability in younger and younger people seems higher than it did. Um, and maybe that's because of the whole social world and, 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 and the electronics. I mean, yeah, I think that's part of it. And it's, it's much easier to have if you have a negative idea or a negative opinion to go on the internet and even if the logic is flawed or unhealthy for you to find uh, other people who believe the same way and encourage that and, and validate those, right. those thoughts. Uh, I think that's part of it. Uh, one of the things that I try to help people focus on, and I do hope people will go to my website uh, because the blogs are there and, and, and learn what they can do for their own health, NBI health. Dot com is the, is the website, the URL. But, you know, you said something that I do, um, and I've struggled to change my, my thinking around that and change my behavior around that. You said you have things that you couldn't say no to. So there are very few things in life where we actually don't have a choice. You know, it's always our choice to say no. And so I encourage people to you just take stock of how many things that they are committed to that they feel that they should do that isn't really serving their priorities. We get very clear on what their goals are and what actions will help them reach those, those goals. And because you're stopped doing lists and the things you say no to are just as important as your to-do list. And in fact, I'm not a real fan of to-do lists because unfortunately with to-do lists, people 
end up prioritizing everything the same. And so you see this big list and it's just one more thing to be stressed over because you think everything has to be checked off on the list. But the reality is whatever your goals are, health, business, relationship, typically if you only accomplish 20% of the, the those goals, 20, not 20% of the goals, 20% of whatever is on your list, you're probably going to end up accomplishing your goal. That there's probably most things on that list that don't necessarily have to be have to be done to get you there. And so being very clear on what it is that I want to accomplish and then why, what's the purpose behind it, and really get that emotional sense of why it's so important. And then just create a list of, okay, what are all the things that I might be able to do to get there, to accomplish this? And then you've got, it's not a to-do list, it's, it's just a list. Okay, this is everything I can do, and it'll change over time. And then you'll be able to see, oh, I've got, wait, here are three different tasks of uh, where I can send an email. Well, I'm going to group those all together instead of switching and being overwhelmed because you're doing doing one task and then you switch to another task. It allows you to, to see patterns to take the stress and the pressure off of you so that you can group things, manage your time more efficiently and effectively and feel more in control. And it's not a to-do list. So it takes that pressure off as well. So I would just encourage people to take a deep breath, understand that you, we've all been trained in our society and definitely in school to always get the right answer and do every homework problem and you know, check off that list of everything you've got to do. And I think that that has to be unlearned. I think it needs to be modified so that we behave in an active way, act in a way that actually works more with our bodies, works more with our, our natural rhythms and what our, what we can tolerate and what serves our purposes than working. Because I think too often people are working against themselves and they're overwhelmed and that flood of being overwhelmed is a signal. Pain is a signal. Pain is a signal that something is wrong. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, that's a that's a that's a um, that's a form of pain. And there may be temporary goals to get to a higher purpose, to get to a higher long-term goal. That that that's justified. But I really counsel and encourage people, and I do this myself when I'm feeling overwhelmed to take a step back and take a deep breath and say, okay, do I really need to do this? And I go back and I actually read, I've got it right here. So I keep this, I keep this notebook and in my notebook, I've got, here's one of my lists. Here's one of my blocks of, of goals in my list. So I've got it broken out into three different goals and I'm not checking off everything every day. I'm looking at what's on there and it's, it's all there. And so one of the reasons why people can't sleep is because they're running through their checklist at night. So if that's you, Write it down. What do you have to do the next day? What do you think you have to do next day? What's on your list? And get it out of your head, and that may help you sleep some more because you may feel under more in control. Yeah, it's a great piece of advice. I've I've practiced that over the years, and making the list definitely helps um, because it just it like is a brain dump. It's a brain right. dump, and it's like, oh, yeah. okay, I can. I can relax now because I know I have it yeah. down and I won't forget it or, or whatever it is. I can forget it for the next eight hours, you know. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, uh, we got a great piece of advice. You, you know Ben Lynch. Uh, mm -hmm. We're all friends. And he, he, you know, we talked about this, and he's also like you. He's very successful. 
he runs a big company. He's, you know, he's got a lot on his plate. And he told me, he said, you know, you just, you just have to learn that there's always tomorrow. Now, in some cases, there's not tomorrow, right? You never know. (laughs) But in most cases, you're going to have tomorrow. So if you can just lay it down and let go of it, write the list, do whatever you need to, you know, get off your phone for the night, let your brain relax is, um, you will never get everything done on your list. It's not possible. There will be a new list tomorrow and you will have to add to the list. And so it will never fully be done. Therefore you just have to realize that there's always tomorrow and you can just start again tomorrow. So that's a really good piece of advice that I, I also got from somebody who is very successful and does a lot of things, you know, and is trying to maintain balance through that. Um, with the pillars of health, right? Sleep and exercise and family relationships and diet and all that. So, um, well, let's see. I had a question in my head. Oh, let's talk about sleep apnea because, uh, I, I do know that sleep apnea is a huge cause of sleep dysfunction and and also long-term health problems. Maybe you can touch on sleep apnea. Sure. So there, there are quite a few sleep disorders. Insomnia is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, sleep apnea is another. And sleep apnea is one where people stop breathing uh, during the night. And they may not even know they have it. If you snore, you could just be snoring. Um, but if you stop breathing and then you gasp for air and start snoring again, or if you're not a snorer, suddenly you stop breathing and gasp for air. And a lot of times it's your partner um, who can tell you that if you sleep with somebody regularly. They ask them. Do I ever gasp for air? Does it ever seem like I stop breathing? And that may be an indication that you have sleep apnea. The way to diagnose it is to get a sleep study done and where you go and you get observed overnight. And the, the, the conventional treatment typically is a, a machine, a sleep apnea machine. It's a positive pressure machine where it actually you wear a mask and it forces oxygen down um, you know, into you, into your lungs to counteract that low oxygen the oxygen that you're not getting. Why that's so important is because sleep apnea and being chron- you know, chronically not having enough oxygen it increases your risk for heart disease, um, diabetes, obesity, uh, early death, stroke, you, you name it. It's, it's deadly. So yeah, it's important to deal with it. I think they did a study on men that did the night shift or something and that had sleep apnea and they were diagnosed they had four times greater um, diagnosis of cancers over yeah, a, cancer how long. They followed them for a number of years, and they found that the, the men who worked night shift and or had sleep apnea had four yeah. times greater diagnosis of cancer. Yeah, and, and there are two general categories of sleep apnea. One is central sleep apnea, and the other is peripheral sleep apnea. Central just means it's in your brain, and I don't mean it's you, you make it up like it's invented in your brain, meaning something neurologically in the central nervous system is creating it. Peripheral sleep apnea is caused by usually by obesity, um, extra tissue in the throat. So just losing weight, if people are obese and overweight, uh, can cure sleep apnea in some people. So it's it's really important that if, if that's the cause to treat as we're trained to do, uh, the underlying cause, and and typically just people changing their diet and their lifestyle goes a long way towards towards hitting that goal, and can reverse sleep apnea. Yeah, and sleep apnea is 
is diagnosed high, more in men. I think men struggle with sleep apnea more than women. Women do have it um, as well, but I think men are struggle the most with it. So they have. That's correct. And it's the opposite with insomnia. So more women have insomnia. I mean, it's incredibly prevalent. 80 million Americans have some form of uh, you know, insomnia or sleep transient. It's called transient sleep disorder. Um, so all of these things are, are affecting, if they're not affecting you, it, we can be pretty sure it's affecting somebody you know and love. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I would say it's probably in my differentials at least a couple times a day. Right. Well, and with primary care practices, 70% of the office visits um, have a, a sleep disorder component to it, meaning that, that, that there is some sleep issue with the patient in 70% of those primary care visits. Unfortunately, however, most clinicians don't really screen for it. So anybody who's seeing you as a patient is doing the right thing because you are well-trained and aware of this, and I'm sure screen for it is part of your general intake, as we all should. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. It's like on the top there. It's like, how do you eat and do you exercise? How do you right. sleep? <laughs> do you sleep exactly. at all? Um, okay, so we talked a little bit about chronic pain, and chronic pain is so prevalent, as we know just from the uh, anti-inflammatory drug market in this country, as well yeah. as um, the existent opioid epidemic that we have. Um, and what about drugs, meaning not just pain killing drugs, um, that we take for pain and inflammation, but what about many other prescription medicines, um, and how they affect your sleep? So a lot of medications can affect sleep and all medications have a risk of side effects. And one of the reasons why I love using nutrition instead of drugs is because nutrients, our body uses nutrients for our own biochemistry. It's how we function, how our biochemistry functions. So when we use nutrients, there are typically side benefits to them. Other things get better. With drugs, you have the opposite. You have side effects, and many drugs have the side effect, which is really just an effect of uh, insomnia, keeping them awake. Uh, antidepressant medications uh, can do that, many of them. Uh, prednisone. Uh, can can do that. The ADHD medications, uh, Concerta, Adderall, uh, can do that. And in fact, those medications, unfortunately, are very popular with kids and in, in with doctors prescribing them to children. Uh, ADHD is not a fatal condition, but actually, those there have been so many cases now of those medications giving children fatal arrhythmias, meaning irregular heartbeats, and actually killing them, then in Canada, prior to prescribing those medications for ADHD, the clinician now has to do a cardiac risk assessment. They have to assess the, the child's risk for heart effects of these drugs. Um, so medications are now in the U.S. considered about the fourth leading cause of death. And that's properly prescribed medications. So over 100,000 people are killed every year from properly prescribed medications. And it's a situation that um, is, it's, it's absurd, frankly, because we can do so much with integrated medicine, with naturopathic medicine, with diet, and nutritional and lifestyle counseling, and nutritional medicine. And unfortunately, medications are just handed out. They're the primary way that 
conventionally trained docs deal with symptoms is just prescribing a drug. And there are lots of non-fatal effects of medications like insomnia, uh, like uh, giving people osteoporosis. But unfortunately, um, um, hundreds, you know, over 100,000 people a year are actually killed by, by medications now. That's not something people think about when they start taking, you know, medications. I, I can yeah. prescribe medications, you know, I can prescribe a certain group. I can't, I can't prescribe some schedules, um, which is good because those are all the drugs I don't want to be responsible for. Um, but I always, whenever I think about a patient, whether or not a pharmaceutical drug would be indicated, you know, you have to run through, um, you have to run through lots of factors and, Fortunately, as a naturopath, I have the time to do that and to, to make those clinical decisions, but I don't think conventional wisdom gives that type of time and or um, attention just based on, on the medical model. So it, it gets but, yeah, complicated. It's the financial model in which they operate, unfortunately, and they're paid for volume, uh, not outcomes. How many yeah. patients can they see in a day? I mean, if you're getting insurance, it's how... How many patients can you code for? Uh, with very high, most of these clinics have very high overhead that oh, they've yeah. got to pay for as well, and salaries. But even the sleep medications uh, have really deadly side effects. Uh, what are called the Z drugs, the benzodiazepine drugs, like clonazepam, for example. Very, very popular. But they actually increase your risk of death and um, falling and, and fall-related injuries, like dying. And in fact, new research has come out showing that they're associated with uh, lots of deaths and an increased risk of both dementia and cancer. Wow. What about Ambien? <laughs> I feel like Ambien uh, is thing. like a horror story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, same thing. The thing with Ambien and, and those, those drugs is um, the side effects can be things that, that you don't even remember. You can wake up and you're driving down the road and you, you don't know how you got there. Um, habitual... Uh, gambling, like uh, you can be, can can occur in some people. I mean, really bizarre things like that. But it, it does. It, uh, those medications take over your body. It's like a sledgehammer, and most people don't need that. There are much better ways to deal with the things that we talked about here. Things that are, you know, people can read about on my, my blogs. Ways to ways to sleep better without the medications and without any of the risk of side effects, and frankly, less expensive. Right. And I, I also like to remind listeners that medications, even though they may be helping one thing, is that they do have those side effects because of that narrow therapeutic window, um, as well as they can create a lot of deficiencies. And so we see nutrient deficiencies are kind of yeah. rampant, and especially in people that are in polypharmacy, which is taking a number of medications. I, I know I've seen patients that are literally taking 10 or 15 medications that doesn't include their supplements you know that's just medications and so nutrient deficiencies are really common and nutrient deficiencies can also lead to these biochemical changes in poor sleep and so, uh, absolutely so medications can cause that poor diet uh, over many years can cause nutritional deficiencies uh, increased uh, stress chronic stress can cause uh, nutritional deficiencies uh, pregnancy uh, being pregnant, having multiple kids can increase somebody's risk for nutritional deficiencies. Uh, there, there's a long, long list. But with medications specifically, uh, there are specific nutrients that medications will will uh, deplete. 
and that's published, that's out there. So if you're going to take a medication, if somebody is, I do recommend they ask the pharmacist or they can look it up, make sure they're getting that as a supplement. But honestly, in my opinion and, and professionally, most of the medications are not necessary. There are excellent ways to deal with it. And, I'm, and I, uh, it's not as if I, I'm against medications. I like medications when they're properly prescribed for the right indication, but most of the time they are not prescribed. They are prescribed incorrectly because there are other things non-medication-wise that uh, we can do. I'm also a fan of educating people. The older medications, uh, the better, meaning if it's 5 or 10 years old, we know the side effect profile much better. Most of the side effects for drugs aren't even known when they're released to the public because it's a very controlled environment. Uh, in fact, I just published a blog on this, controlled environment in which they're uh, studied and regulated and approved by the FDA. And once it's on the market, suddenly it's different population that it's being used in. Maybe somebody, as you mentioned, taking different medications. So you've got this polypharmacy, multiple drugs potentially interacting. So it's not for five or 10 years later. Vioxx is a great example. That, was, that wasn't taken off the market. for It was on the market for 10 years and killed a lot of people. So whenever I prescribe medications, I typically gra gravitated, if there's an effective one, to the older ones, the ones that have been on the market longer, because we, we have a much better idea of the safety profile. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense, for sure. Um, all right, let's see, what else about sleep do you feel that we're missing? I mean, a lot of this information is out there for people to grasp, but, but I think going to your website would be a, a great place to start. Um, and getting more information, obviously about the product that you have, you can see all the um, ingredients in that, the adaptogenic herbs, the uh, what we call neuro, neuro um, neurogenic herbs that help you relax, you know, relax the nervous system as well as those amino acids and the melatonin and all that. But um, NBI is it NBI.com? NBI Health. NBI Health. NBI Health.com. NBI Health.com and, and getting more information on ways to help sleep. But I'm afraid that there is really no magic. There's no magic thing. It's actually just common sense. That's how I kind of feel about sleep in general. Of course, when you start talking about having diseases and disorders and, and random insomnias over stress or whatever, this, this is probably going to happen to all of us at some point in our life. But um, if you have young children, this might happen to you for decades, right? Right. Um, but a lot of this is, is sort of common sense. And, you know, taking that time at night to wind down and take care of yourself and um, turn turn your stuff off, which... I see as being probably the number one problem. I would agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Turning this constant stimulation that we're getting. Yeah. That, that is, I, I see that as the future of the, the biggest addiction that we are going to be dealing with. Um, in, in not just adults, but in young children, it's, mm -hmm. it is because our young children have grown up with these things. They don't remember yep. a time. You and I remember a time before this, before we had this stimulation, you know, you went to bed and you read a book. Yes. Um, and now it's, it's so much different unless as a parent, you're totally following the line there and not, you know, doing a million things at nine o'clock at night and giving your toddler your phone to get them to lay down. Right. Right. Um, 
I think that that's going to be our biggest challenge in the future. Um, and I don't know if it, if it's even what we can do about it, right? Artificial intelligence, maybe they'll come up with something, some way to help us sleep, but maybe some blue blocking glasses, right? I've seen yeah, those. Exist. Yeah, yes. seen those. Yeah. It, turn your uh, blue light off on your phone and your computer after a certain yeah. time of day. So yeah. just turn them off and is, put them away. Technology is doing things to help you stay on your technology longer <laughs> and help your sleep, maybe. But I would say turn off your devices. It's probably well, technology has done amazing. It's had amazing benefits. I mean, just yeah. the fact that we're doing this yeah. this call right now, and we're video conferencing, and it's going to be available to people to learn from and watch and listen to uh, at a later date is it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's added a lot of quality and value, at least to my life. And, you know, many people I know it's allowed us all to get more information faster that we're we're looking for, but there is, there is a downside uh, to it. And so, you know, when it comes to nighttime, um, eight o'clock at night, we take our phones and our iPads and we, we put them away. Right. Right. And we hang out a little bit as a family uh, if it's a beautiful night in summer out, we may go outside a little bit, go for a walk, get some fresh air. You know, it's time to wind down. Our natural bodies and evolution, the more we work with our body's rhythms, the healthier and the happier we're going to be as both individuals, as families, as communities. And I really encourage everybody to really get, get in touch with that and learn what they can and do what they can to, to improve their own health. Well, on that note, I would say you live in San Diego, not far from the beach. I've been to your home and to that beautiful area that you live in. And um, for our audience, who is very driven by being in nature, that uh, going out and being in nature, especially the ocean, the ocean and the forest bathing, as they scientifically call it now, going out in the trees... These are all things that uh, decrease our stress hormones and increase our um, increase our happy hormones, and they actually calm us down and they do help us sleep, which is why I think people sleep so good when they go camping. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. In Montana and other places uh, where, where people may be listening to this, there, there's always an opportunity to get into to get into nature. Mm-hmm. And increase those happy chemicals. Mm-hmm. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, we live in a beautiful place here in San Diego, and uh, I go and I actually run by run on the beach, and it's uh, feel phenomenal. And hopefully, if, in Seattle, when I was there, you and I both lived in Seattle for a while. I mean, the, the forests and the mountains, the streams, and that that smells instead of the artificial air, you know, indoor stale air, uh, is is incredibly healthy and, and helpful. Yeah. And nature is one of the pillars, you know, getting into nature is one of those health pillars that's really important. Yeah. Yep. And go put your hands in some dirt and garden yeah. and grow your own food. It's also another way to decrease your stress hormones and yeah. sleep better. And don't be freaked out. Let your kids put the dirt in their mouth. It's yeah. Good as long as it's clean dirt. dirt. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, healthy dirt anyways. Um, all right, John. Well, I really appreciate you doing this for us and our listeners. And just give us maybe a little bit more information if folks want to look you up again and learn about your product and stuff. Thank you. Oh, it's been great. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, the company is NBI, and the, the, the website is nbihealth.com. And 
they can go there. All the information's there. The product lines there. You'll see it's a, it's not a it's not like a huge company with two hundred different products. It's very niche. You know, things that I needed clinically to help my patients and my family that I couldn't find. I recommend companies all the time that have great products out there. I don't need to 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 do something if it already exists. So I've gone and I've researched and I've created unique products to fill a need where people were hurting and struggling and there wasn't something already there that that was that could help them that have the quality based on the, the research it was clinically validated. So NBI the sleep is the company sleep relief is, is the product with sleep, but there are other products on there for osteoporosis, circulation, memory, stimulant free memory, energy, uh, mood, multivitamin, things like that. I'm coming out with a new joint product actually in uh, Hopefully the end of this month, a new product for a Oh, cool. I've taken your products, and I love them, and I've recommended them to patients. So thank you. It's great. Thanks. All right. Well, um, thank you again. And maybe we'll have you on again, and we'll talk about, uh, I think a good topic is bone health, which we don't. Oh, we love that. Inflammation and bone health, which we don't oh, talk enough about. Oh, I would love to do that. About. I'm very passionate about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Thank Joe. you. Thanks. Tell Ryan hi. I will. Bye. The Stealthy Hunter website and the Hunt Harvest Health podcast is for general health information only. This podcast is not to be used as substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment of any health condition or problem. Any questions regarding your own health should be addressed to your own primary care physician or other health care provider.